How's it going, everybody? Um, right now, we would like to take time to uh, acknowledge and um, make aware of the current situation uh, with Keontae Johnson, who, if you did not know, collapsed in the middle of the game on the 12th uh, against Florida State, um, seemingly out of nowhere, uh, absolutely shock. Um, he has been on heavy on my heart, uh, him and his family, um, with the fear, with so much unknown, especially as uh, why this has happened. But as of now, after the game, he was in um, critical but stable condition that we saw in, in, in a medically induced coma. Um, and he is now, I believe he has come somewhat out of the coma. Uh, a report has shown that he has been speaking and FaceTime with the team. Um, but anyways, uh, everyone, please continue to send prayers this way, uh, not this way, not to me, uh, send prayers towards that family, towards the situation. Uh, we just thank you. Um, everyone that is known of the situation, I thank you for the prayers you've, you've sent and just, uh, what I've seen everyone just thinking about this family and, and, uh, this young man. And hopefully we're all hoping for the best, but, um, here you go. This, uh, is the next episode with Matt Walsh. Enjoy. What's going on, world? It's your boy, Patrick Young, host of The Young and the Rowdies, brought to you by the Field of 68 Media Network. I want to thank those guys again so much for allowing me to be a part of this awesome show. It's been so awesome to, to rekindle and connect with anyone and everyone that's had a hand in the Florida basketball program. Thank you guys so much for listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you have this right now. Please continue to rate, review, and share. Uh, it is so appreciated. I love seeing the reviews coming in. I'm loving uh, just being able to bring uh, answers to a lot of questions and things that you never uh, got a chance to, to hear about. Anyways, without further ado, our, our next guest, uh, he was somewhat of a villain, uh, if you can think of who I mean. Uh, he was known for his unique look, but also his uh, awesome game. Um, thoroughly excited that uh, we get to dig into him as a a uh, college player, professional player, overseas player, and now a team owner. Anyways, we'll, we'll get all into that into this next episode, and you'll get to see this next guest. So excited. Can't wait. Without further ado, I'm so excited to bring our next guest, Gator great Matt Walsh. Probably hard to recognize him without his hair, but this is my guy. I'm so excited to have him here. He's tuned in to us all the way from New Zealand. Matt, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Um, yeah, my one regret is that I don't still have the curls, but uh, I tossed the hat on now and I'm all right. What, 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 why did you decide to let him go? You had him, uh, you know, when we were playing overseas and I got a chance to uh, see you in Turkey. You, you, actually, no, you had, you, they were cut by then as well. When did you decide to, to let him go? Yeah, well, unfortunately, um, I don't know if it's father time. Uh, you know, the curls are not as voluptuous as they used to be so once they uh, lost their luster I, I had to i had to adjust <laughs> man you're 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 far away from uh holland pennsylvania yeah. How's, what's, it, what's it like over there in new zealand yeah this is about as far as you can go uh it's amazing we've been very fortunate here we've got no covid we're about to get into summer um i figured i'd give you the whole view here we got rangi toto uh volcano in the background I live right here on uh, Takapuna Beach, so figured I'd walk down and do this. But yeah, we've been lucky here. We're getting ready to start our season with the New Zealand Breakers. So um, yeah, life is pretty good. How's the family doing? How's everyone? You're you're there with uh, all your family, right? Yeah, I've got my wife and three kids, and I uh, I had one daughter here, so I've got one Kiwi child. They they say she's going to be the easiest. It hasn't panned out that way yet, uh, but yeah, they're, they're good. You know. They've been able to stay in school, and we we just had a brief disruption earlier this year. So, all things considered, you know, relative to the rest of the world, we feel pretty lucky. Yeah, I'm over here in uh, in Athens, Greece. I've been here for about since the beginning of October. Uh, training, um, it's I've been able to do all my rehab stuff with my knee, but as far as getting on the basketball court, um, because of lockdown, uh, it's, it's at, 
impossible. So, um, you know, going kind of stir crazy. You, you can do so many things outside of the court, but at one point, it's like, I'm a basketball player. I need to do the stuff that translates and remember doing the things that I, you know, I, things that I love to do, playing the game. So uh, I'm hoping and praying that my agent can finagle something to get me just inside. I'll, I'll come and sweep the floors if I have to. I mean, you know, overseas, sometimes they don't sweep the courts the best. So uh, I can be the guy and I'll do it for free. You're willing to do anything. How did, why, why, right. Athens? Why, why did you head, head back down? I know this is my interview, but I'm interested why you're in Athens. Um, it worked out really well uh, after I got cut from my team in Israel to, um, to come here and train. They have one of the best uh, physical, therapy, physical therapy centers um, and left myself available for a team to get picked up as soon as I'd be ready. When I first got here, there were no restrictions. Uh, limited, you know, uh, everything closed at 12, 12 o'clock. But with cases starting to get in the thousands um, here, they, they shut everything down. It's a 9 p.m. curfew and you got to send a text message out to everyone to uh, to the to the government for, to certify what you're doing. Um, so I'm, I'm debating if I'm going home sometime soon because, you know, mentally being out here on lockdown and alone is and not playing ball is a little tough. But uh, just trying to weather the course right now. Yeah, well, I love Greece, so you're in a good spot, too. It's probably my second favorite place in the world. So. Yes, sir. So, Matt, let's get into it, man. We're, uh, this podcast is devoted to everything. Uh, first, first and foremost, Gator basketball. Well, first and foremost, the guests, their life, make sure they're, they're doing well. Then, uh, you know, their time, some stories with Gator basketball, and then transitioning on their life after and what they're up to now, things they've learned. So, um, first, let's, let's go back to um, your recruiting process all the way back, back till then. What was it like? Uh, you know, being a college, a high school guy, and then getting recruited by Coach Donovan when things started out for you. Yeah, so I was a late bloomer. Uh, my freshman year, I was about five nine. Uh, I was very skilled, but you know, I played JV my freshman year, um, and then I grew six inches over the summer, like the the course of that season. Uh, sophomore year, I was player of the year in my uh, league. I was a very good player, and that's when I finally started to get recruited. I remember the first letter I ever got was from Penn State. And then going into my junior year, that was when, you know, Florida had Mike Miller and Teddy Dupay and these guys. And that's when it became like the hot program. Uh, they went to the Final Four in 2000, I believe. Um, and it was always a dream of mine to play for Coach Donovan. And then Coach Anthony Grant, who's at Dayton now, came and saw me play in the Primetime Classic, which is where LeBron played against Carmelo. And it's where all the top matchups were. And after the game, they offered me a scholarship. And I kind of knew right then I was going to go to Florida, but I kept my recruitment open. Jay Wright at Villanova got the job there. He really recruited me hard. But I took one uh, unofficial visit to Florida, and that was it. I, I went out to the swamp, had a fun night, uh, <laughs> and then that was the wrap. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I committed to Florida, I think, the next day. They did the whole thing in the O-Dome where they – do the rowdy reptiles thing and they, your jersey hanging up. I was like, man, how can I go anywhere else? What? Oh, man, I didn't get all that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, so going back to that time, you know, how was your, your life as uh, a student athlete? Uh, you know, what, how was just your experience as, as being in, in the up-and-coming program at the time? You know, Coach Donovan, uh, before Teddy Dupay got there, uh, they, you know, two losing seasons. Uh, then they come in with a great class uh, and two losing seasons again, 12, 12 wins. And then um, they make this run to the, to the final four. Um, they starting to, to turn the program, starting to turn around, you know, coach Donovan's like relentless when it comes to the recruiting. Um, and you finally get there, you know, what was first, what was life as a student? And then how was just your experience as uh, as an athlete? It was amazing. I mean, I think, you know, the, Florida Gators, University of Florida, do it right. Uh, everything from training table and this, the tutoring center and, um, and Tom Williams, they take care of you pretty well. It was always uh, one of the easy ones to deal with. So I went to class for the most part, unless I had too late of a night. And I just love life at Florida. It was just amazing. I mean, living in the dorms my freshman year, I went down for some of the uh, best experience of my life. You know, I think back now and couldn't have imagined going anywhere else. You know, sometimes you want to think, oh, if I would have went here, how would have things turned out? I never have those thoughts because my, I cherish my time at Florida so much. 
and I wouldn't yeah. trade it for any other outcome. Man, I, I got to tell you, uh, you know, when we, you know, my senior year was one of the best years of my life for sure. Just a team that uh, we were like, I don't say like gods, but we were, we were just so, such look, looked at in a way because we were number one in the country. We had gone to a point where we didn't lose for like a hundred, over a hundred days. And the love that we received, man, it was, I was like, man, I never wanted to leave college. <laughs> and then once I did leave and become a pro, I was like, wow, we had it so well because there's just a complete difference when, when you become a professional, um, especially overseas. But, um, you know, some of my favorite memories of my life and, and playing career are at the university. And I can imagine you have some great ones as well. Yeah, I've got, so I've got a funny story. So my freshman year was the first time Florida Gators were ever ranked number one in the history. So my freshman year, we get ranked number one, and we really got ranked number one as a result of us winning early in the season and everyone ahead of us losing. So it wasn't like we were just okay. gangbusters. <laughs> so we were ranked number one ahead of playing at Rupp Arena, Kentucky, um, on like a Super Tuesday game. So Tuesday night, we're playing at Rupp Arena. They were ranked top 10 or something, and they had a squad. And we went in there, and I remember looking up at the scoreboard. First of all, they're chanting all this stuff, you know, the, the crazy stuff about me, the craziest fans, old ladies screaming at me. Oh, yeah. A few walls, just everything you can imagine. And then I look up at the scoreboard, we're down 60 to 28 in the first half. And I just remember being like, oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, they just put it on us. It was just like one of those wake-up calls. And we ended up having a great year, but it was funny. We didn't last. We were, we were number one for one day. I think the, the Bulls came out Monday. And by, by Tuesday, we were getting our ass kicked by Kentucky. So. Well, you, you know how it goes when you're number one. Teams are always going to try to expose that by bringing their best. <laughs> no, of course, especially Kentucky. You know, there's no love lost there. And they had a good team, Chuck Hayes and – Gerald Pitch and they had some they had some guys who could play so um, I think we ended up being ranked number one again at some point during my time there but that was the first time I remember there was all these articles first time in team history ranked number one and it lasted about 16 hours what, what was uh what was your experience like with uh with coach Donovan once you stepped on campus and began getting coached by him I think I was you know, people ask me who was my favorite coach I ever played for, who knew the most. Coach Donovan was, one, my favorite I ever played for, and two, he knew more about the game than anyone I've ever been around. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be around Pat Riley and Lawrence Frank, and those are the, only, the other two that really jump out. But um, Coach Donovan was just amazing. I remember he'd draw up a play, and Coach Grant would be trying to stop it on the defense, and he'd say, this is how the defender's going to deny here, and you're going to go back door, but they're going to help here, and you're going to pass it here, and you're going to get this shot. And it would happen every single time. And I just remember being like, man, how does this guy know so much about basketball? And not only that, but, um, you know, he would have you over his house for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And if he could sense something was wrong, he'd call you in the office and speak with you. And um, I always say the, the reason why Coach Donovan could, back then, be so hard on his players and tough, which I love, was because you knew he genuinely cared about you and he loved you. And when you see somebody putting in the work that they did, I mean, you would know. I mean, our coaching staff there would be there way before us and stay way after. When you see that work and when you feel how much they care about you, you're willing to let them uh, go, at, go at you hard and push you to the limit, which, like I said, for me, I love that. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I can, I can go back and, and think about all the times that uh, Coach Donovan got, out, got on me, and it was never out of a – I mean, of course, you need to show that he's in charge. He's the coach. You can't disrupt and, uh, you know, come onto my, you know, his scene and try and, you know, at, my, at the point I was there, he had already won the two championships and, and did X, Y, Z. Um, but, you know, I came in as a little conceited and um, just arrogant, not understanding, like, there's a lot that goes into basketball. But he taught me so much about the game, um, held me accountable, never, never not one day, let me just slip um, just any method and any what I loved about him is that he coached everybody a little bit differently because he understands we all have different personalities he knows when he can push a guy a little bit and he knows when he can't and the next day like a father figure he just you know we, we make up for it he brings you in with there's something's wrong you talk to him and then you move on from it and you know he had so many different assistant coaches through my four years and it's not by accident that they're all coaching somewhere else, doing well, continuing their careers. 
because he just has that effect of of, of doing that, um, of being contagious with his attitude and his integrity and the way that he does things. Um, was any any uh, any crazy practice stories uh, or something like that that you have? Well, I just I don't. You guys wouldn't have done it by the time you were there, but we used to do the twenty and twenty. So uh, in preseason, we used to do the twenty suicides in twenty minutes. And I remember when the summer leading into it, our strength and conditioning coach was like, "Okay, you know, we're going to start with eight and eight. So you have thirty-two seconds to do the suicide, twenty-eight second break, and then you go to your next one. So you do eight suicides in eight minutes." And I remember finishing those eight and eight and thinking, I have to transfer. There's no way I can do 20 and 20. I just remember being like, there's like, this is it for me. What, what can I do? Like, this is absolutely it. And throughout your preseason, you start 12 and 12, 14 and 14. And over the five, six weeks, you get to 20 and 20. And I just remember that feeling of finishing and they push you so hard. And it was like euphoric. It was the best thing. And I got it right then after, like, now I know why you do this. Because when you do that as a group and you fight through that, um, you know, it, it builds, I think, you know, your relationships and man, I've got a lot of crazy stories though with coach Donovan and coach Grant. And, you know, I was always kind of a mouthy guy. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, if I thought something wasn't right or something, I would be talking under my breath. And I remember one time he just got so fed up, so fed up with us. It was me and David Lee. And he just looked at us and he goes, Matt Walsh, will you please just shut the fuck up? Uh, and I was just like, oh man, it was like my freshman year and it was like two weeks in and I was like, man, I, I better get, get my ass in line. I'm going to get shipped out of here. Uh, but it's like you said, and then after practice, he'd pull you aside and he'd explain his reasoning and why you need to do this. And I just love Coach Donovan. Uh, you know, there's not a best experience in my life. And most, one of the most rewarding things I ever got the privilege to do was play basketball for Coach Donovan. Yeah, I, I, I definitely uh, can reiterate the same. He definitely taught me so much as a man and uh, just the accountability and how to be a pro. Everyone always tells you, you know, be a pro, be a pro, but I didn't really understand how that translated until I actually became one. And he instilled in me the habits and just the understanding of, if you want to be great and consistent, this is what the good play, the great players do. Uh, they fight for inches. They work towards their game. They take care of their body. Um, they study film, et cetera. If you want it, go for it. If you don't, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold your hand through it, especially, you know, that in the pros, no one's going to hold your hand. Uh, yeah, that's if you, <laughs> they, them holding your hand is saying, um, we're going to cut your contract and uh, ship you out of here. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they, yeah, they actually right. are. You're gonna, gone. Yeah. Get a flight. That's right. So going back into your, um, your, your time in 2002 to 2005, first of all, I want to ask why number 44? You know, I don't, I don't, I think it was more a result of just what Jersey was left when I was at uh, high school. I think it was like, I was probably one of the last picks because I, like I said, I played JV as a freshman JV. and I probably just had like the big baggy triple XL Jersey my freshman year uh, before, you know, by my junior year, when we were a top program in the country, we got a Nike deal and then we got the good stuff. But my freshman year, I think probably they were just like, here, you shitty freshman, you get this Jersey, you're not on varsity and I ended up with 44 and it just stuck. Did you did you embrace the um, the type of villain type of uh, personality that people were kind of I mean like the kind of guy like if he's on our team we love that he's on our team but you know if he's not on our team you know we would hate to play against that guy because he you know he's annoying he's talking trash you know he's playing hard he's he's up in our star guys ears and what lets the oh, crowd yeah. know did you really you really embrace all that? I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And I started getting that in high school because, you know, I'm this curly haired guy with a headband who looks like I should be, I don't know, not a basketball player. And I'm out there giving everyone buckets. So I love it's not that. not the most intimidating look, Matt. No, no, especially not. I mean, <laughs> you know, I've got the goatee. It was, it was something. It was something. Um, but I loved it, you know, and it started my freshman year everywhere I went um, at Kentucky and um, you know, I used to bait guys into stuff. Uh, you know, I'd, after the whistle, I'd, I'd throw like the behind the back pass and hit them in the chest with the ball. Or, you know, something that looked like it was inadvertent. And then they'd retaliate and I'd get a technical and I'd wink at them when I'm at the free throw line. And I used to do all that stuff. I loved it. Love I mean, um, but they tortured me in the SEC. Man, everywhere I went, they, they tortured me. And uh, it was great. I loved it. I got nothing better than winning on the road. I used, to, I used to love playing on the road. I mean, nothing better than playing in front of the Rowdy Reptiles. But 
going on the sure. road and winning, winning at Tennessee or winning at Georgia, that was the best. Um, did, you know, did, um, we're going here. Oh, what do you think, um, was the roadblock that kind of kept you guys, your team from, you know, going deep in the tournament? We, my, my few years, we kept having a roadblock as well. Just not being able to finish games. We had, you know, fortunate, so blessed to have gone to three elite eights in a row, but two of those elite eights, uh, my freshman year and my, uh, sophomore year. Yes, we were, we were up by, you know, tens of points with, you know, five or to six minutes left in the game and just weren't able to close out. What do you think it was that, that held you guys back having such great momentum going into the tournament, uh, but not able to make those deep runs? Yeah, I think it's different every year. Uh, my freshman year, we had such a talented team. We had uh, Justin Hamilton, who played for 15 years overseas at point guard, Brett Nelson, Matt Bonner, David Lee, me, Anthony Roberson. I think we had something like nine NBA players, something ridiculous yeah. on that team, guys who played in the NBA. Um, but, I mean, as you would know, and I think what you'd see with the guys who came right after me, who I played with for a year, Joe Kim and Alan, those guys, a lot of it depends on chemistry and working together and having the same agenda. And I think for us, we just could never figure it out. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not exactly sure. I don't think there was just one thing, but we just could never put um, – we just could never put it together at the right time. You know, we had stretches where we were really good. Uh, we went through some adversity my sophomore year with Christian Dreyer just packing up and leaving and signing in Barcelona halfway through the year. Right. Um, and then I think my junior year was just a transition year. You had these guys, Joe Kim and Al coming in, Corey and Torian. And at first, you know, we, we saw these guys were like, man, like, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't quite get it, but they loved each other so much. And I think the reason why they were so successful, they were super talented, was because they were just all in on each other, and it showed on the court. And I think for whatever reason, we just could never figure that out as a class and as a, you know, my years there. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just so proud to have played, you know, a small, small role in the history of Florida Gator basketball. Absolutely. Did, could you say that you saw that those guys had that potential after you left to uh, – I mean, no one can predict that someone's going to win the championship, but you can see like these guys have something special, something is possible. I think it's more looking back. I couldn't see it at the time for sure. Right. Um, you know, because none of those guys, I mean, Al played a pretty significant role in Corey, my fresh, their freshman year, but Torian didn't play as, as significant a role. Joe Kim didn't play. I mean, Joe Kim ended up being the leader of those guys and he didn't play a significant role at all his freshman year. Um, so we end up leaving. And then I think those guys just, there wasn't as much expectation. They're sophomores, they're coming in. Now all of a sudden, all the upperclassmen left and they're the leaders of the team. Right. And, um, you know, but you could see it sometimes and pick up. They would battle, you know, they would play against me. It would be me and David Lee and Deep and the older guys playing against them. And, you know, we probably split those games 50-50 when we should have been kicking their ass. And it was, right. they're just, um, they loved each other and they put in the work. And um, I think it's as much about their talent, but also just how, how they cared about each other and how they, how they played the game as much as how, you know, what they did on the court. I can imagine uh, just those guys not being as talented at the time. Just, you just know that Joe Kim and Al just played their hearts out probably every time they were, they were there. Cause I know David Lee was a dog. <laughs> yeah. David Lee was probably bullying everybody, but uh, and Joe Kim, he, uh, his freshman year, if I can remember, you'll know better than I did cause you were there. Uh, but he couldn't, he couldn't seem to get to class on time. <laughs> A lot. I, yeah, I heard he, that he was getting in you know, yeah, a lot of trouble. You know, uh, when you first – I think everybody has that moment when you get to Florida where you're like, wow, this is pretty good. And you have those issues. And Joe, it took Joe Kim about a year to figure it out. Um, he was my roommate on the road, those guys. And what they did winning back-to-back -back championships is uh, – it's historic. It's amazing. Have you, um, have you gotten a chance to um, keep up with any of those guys through the years? Just um, – you know, continuing those relationships, seeing how everyone's doing. Yeah, I stay in touch with all those guys. So all the guys that I played with, the guys who came after me, uh, Joe Kim's a very close friend of mine. Uh, I saw awesome. Torian. I saw Torian last summer at Summer League. He lives in Vegas. Uh, Corey Brewer. You know, now that I own the Breakers, I talk to all these guys talking about they've got to come out here and play. So, uh, you know, I'm always joking with Joe Kim that, you know, when, when his time in the NBA is done, he should come. He loves to surf. He always lives in Hawaii. I'm like, what better place than New Zealand? Come out here and be a hero here for a few years. I know, right? Bro, I'd come out there. I ain't going to lie. But, um, 
we could talk offline. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, after, you know, decided to leave early and we share this, this same sentiment as far as uh, being undrafted, definitely, um, you know, I could have decided to leave earlier when I had a much more uh, higher stock when the, the potential was um, in the position where the NBA scouts don't have all the tape on you and they decide whatever, you know, we've seen this guy, he's not going to do this, et cetera. You already know it's, it's hit and miss anyway with the, with the draft. But in those moments, you know, after, you know, where your name wasn't called, you know, what was going through your mind? I just, I remember, because I had, I, had I had a party. I had um, people come to this, th this event in Jacksonville. I had about 30, 30 of my closest people there and uh, was expecting to go around uh, somewhere in the second round. Um, and then I didn't get my name called. And it was just like complete shock, of course. And then just an instant, you know, fire within me of like, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. You know, I'm going to prove um, when I get an opportunity. My agent was already finding me a summer league opportunity. And that's exactly what I did when I got to the Pelicans. Uh, my very first game in the summer league, they had me coming off the bench and I had 11 points and 13 rebounds in like 15 minutes. I was just like, man, I'm showing, and they signed me the next day. So, um, you know, what was, what was going through your mind at that time? Yeah, we have, we have a similar story there. So, um, you know, I went in my freshman year, I scored 26 points my first game. Uh, the next game I had like 20 points, nine assists and seven rebounds. I got national player of the week uh, for wow. the first year of my freshman year. I killed it a lot of my freshman year, had some ups and downs. My body just failed me at the end. Coach Donovan described right. me as like a wet piece of pasta or something like that. Something ridiculous in the media. I was like, oh, okay, great. Wet piece of spaghetti. Um, and I never, but I never like really considered leaving after my freshman year and sophomore year. I remember my buddies were at my house after my freshman year and ESPN was doing a story on the top underclassmen returning to school. And my name was up one of like the five guys. And I was thinking, Man, I didn't even like. <laughs> I didn't even know that going to the NBA was a consideration. Right. Um, it was just kind of. I always anticipated being at Florida forever. And then after my junior <laughs> year, I got MVP of the SEC championship. Won the SEC championship for the first time. I'd come back from a really significant ankle injury, and I was thinking to myself, this is probably my best chance to get drafted. Like, yeah. Go in the NBA. I killed my pre-draft workouts, um, and I expected to go somewhere between like. 25 and 50 like that was my range I knew there was a couple right. games at the end of the first round and you know I found out later after the fact uh, that I was one of the last two guys on Miami's big board Wayne Simeon ended up getting picked but I was in the same boat I had people over my house you know, I didn't think there was any scenario where I didn't get drafted didn't get drafted I was devastated for about 10 minutes and then I was like you know what okay I'm gonna I'm gonna prove I belong here I got signed to summer league that night by Miami and this was back when uh, there was a there was a summer league in NBA summer league in LA, and I went out there. I played the first game. I had like to your point. I think I played 15 minutes. I had something like 12 points, five assists, and five rebounds. And I was leaving after the first game to go play with the Seattle SuperSonics when they had a team in a different summer league. And I was in the limo. They got me a limo on the way to the airport, and I got a call from my agent saying, "Turn around, Miami's signing you." Um, wow. And I didn't even. I was. I was so. I remember being so. I couldn't even process it that I was just kind of like, hey, limo driver, can you turn around and take me back? This was before Uber. Um, and I was just sitting there and I, I didn't really even know how to process it. You know, I do, couldn't even really feel excitement because I almost was just like, OK, this is just the first step. Um, yeah. And, and it was a pretty cool moment. But I wish I could have appreciated it more now. But, you know, at that time, I was just kind of relieved. Dang, that's awesome. Uh, how long was you was your how was your stay your experience with being with the with the Heat? Yeah, I mean, I was there for a short time. I only played in two games. Um, I think I was there with ten games or something like that. But um, you know, so I signed in July. I went immediately to Miami. I ended up getting cut in December. Um, I mean, I played on the team that won the championship that year. So I played with Shaquille and uh, oh, wow. Shaq. I mean, I played with Shaq and Dwayne Wade and Gary Payton and Jason Williams and Alonzo Mourning and Antoine Walker. So it was just amazing. I mean, every day I'd go in, my locker was next to Shaq. Um, it was just amazing. You know, I look back and I think, I tell my son now, like I played with Shaq and he tells all his friends. And it's, uh, so it's pretty cool that I got to experience that. And then the next year, 
I played a short time. I played all of preseason with the Nets and I played with Jason Kidd and Vince Carter and Cliff Robinson and Richard Jefferson. So my short time in the NBA was pretty amazing. I got to play with, I don't know, six Hall of Famers or something. So yeah. pre pretty cool. Uh, I'm very grateful, you know, that I had that time. I see that you did, um, you know, did you have a great knowledge of overseas basketball at the time? Because I, you know, looking up, I see that you did do the G League for a little bit, but you know, I, similar to you, I, I didn't even decide to do the G League because I just knew it wasn't uh, the right avenue for me. I wanted to get guaranteed money and continue to build my career there. Uh, if the NBA was an option for me later, uh, I would rather do that when I had a little bit of money in my pocket and uh, versus, you know, struggling, you know, on 20000 maybe less than that a year. You know, what was your, your reasoning for not staying in the G League and deciding to go overseas? So... When I was in the G League, it was the D League, and this yes, was the D very League, this was this was the very start. I mean, I don't know what year the G, the D League launched, but this was early on, and it was a nightmare. Oh man! So I went from playing in Miami, living on South Beach, and I remember I had a bunch of my friends down for New Year's. It was January first, and I flew out to Arkansas. I played for the Arkansas Rim Rockers, which team doesn't even exist. It was like an ABA team that joined the G League, and I kid you not, the level of basketball coaching and facilities was worse than when I played in my seventh and eighth grade team. And I got wow. there, I'm living in section eight housing that they put you up in. I was there for, I think a month. And then I got on a plane to go play a road game and just went home. I was like, thank you for everything. And I just went home. I was like, this is not for me. The, the coaching was awful. Everything about it was just it was really, really bad. Um, and then I ended up uh, training the rest of that year, went to training camp with the Nets. And then I, you know, I started to build my overseas career. But your original question, I did not know much about international basketball at all. This was kind of before, you know, you were watching EuroLeague or any of those kind of things. So I didn't know much about it until I got there. And once you got there, yeah, you know, you, you played for about uh, – you know, I don't know if Wikipedia is exactly correct, but it says 13 different teams. Uh, is that about right overseas? It sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> I bounced around a lot. Um, I mean, I, I can't I can't remember. I can remember all the teams, but I don't know the the, the exact number. Um, but yeah, I bounced around a lot. I kind of looking back, I had a few situations that I could have stuck in. But for me, it was always about and this is one of my kind of big regrets in my basketball uh, career, I was always thinking, what's the next step? So, you know, when I got to Greece and I was a rookie, uh, I led the league in scoring. I was, I, I killed it, I think, largely because I just didn't know any better. You know, I'm playing against right. these great European players and I'm just thinking, well, I came from Florida in the NBA, so I'm going to kill you. And I had no, I didn't know who they were. So I'm playing against like Dimitris Dimitidis and Panathinaikos and I'm scoring oh, 20 man. in the five in the first half. And, uh, you know, I'm telling these Greek guys, like, I don't care who I'm playing against. <laughs> um, so then I went from there to the ACB, but the ACB, I always had my eye on getting back to the NBA and I always, and then later in my career, I always had my eye on playing for the Barcelonas of the world. So I was never content on where I was. And I think that's the reason I bounced around so much because if it was a little bit better opportunity, rather than looking at the big picture and thinking, okay, do it here for two years, that's going to be better. I just jumped at the opportunity thinking this is my way to climb the ladder. Uh, and I was fortunate. I played on some EuroLeague teams and uh, I mean, I had a very good career overseas. But I wish I right. would have just kind of enjoyed where I was and enjoyed the moments better as opposed to being like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? Where was your favorite place? Is there a favorite place you had to play? I loved Greece. You know, I, I said that before. Greece was amazing. Right. I played in uh, Aris and I played in a small city called Larissa. Um, I loved Italy. I was fortunate. I always played in amazing cities. Aside from Charleroi and Belgium, every other city was amazing. Um, I was pretty cold so, up there. Yeah, and it's just not the most beautiful city, but I was near Brussels and I loved my time there. Um, so it's hard to tell, um, but I, I was fortunate. I loved playing in Bamberg. Germany was amazing. Right. Um, Slovenia is incredible. Ljubljana is this kind of hidden gem right up there north of Italy. So I was fortunate to live in some amazing places. Was there any of the locations you know, going in overseas your first few years? Uh, was there any place where you had a cult type of culture shock, whether it be from the coaching style or the way they did things or the lifestyle where you're just like, I am not home anymore. <laughs> this yeah. is, this is different. Okay. Yeah. 
no I'm question. Here. I mean, I, I, uh, I had that. I, I think I was so miserable my first three years because I just wanted to get back to the NBA so bad. But right. my first experience in Europe, I signed in Greece, this small team in Larissa, Greece, middle of Greece, central Greece. And I get there and uh, my mom flew over with me. She was like, I'll fly over with you. Uh, it's my first time out of the country. I'm 21 years old. I'm like, all right, let's go. We get there. My house is down like this dirt road. It ended up being a really nice apartment, but we're across from like these chicken coops. I'm looking around like, where the hell am I? We go to watch the first practice. And I remember sitting there being like, oh, man, like watching. And the coach ends up being Bartzokas, who coached in Olympiacos. I think okay. maybe he played for him. Um, yeah. And one of the best coaches in Europe, but he's a young coach at the time. And he's yelling at these players. And I'm looking at these guys, and I'm like, man, I'm so much better than these guys. Like, what am I doing here? And, um, yeah, I was just I, – I literally remember sitting there being like, I'm probably just going to fly back with my mom in five days. Um, and it ended up being the most amazing experience. But – I certainly wasn't ready for it at the time. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine. I was my when I my first experience, I was in, in Turkey and Galatasaray your the, the last year you played. Yeah. Um and I didn't know anything about Turkey. I literally I got cut from the Pelicans that first week in December. I wanna say like December fourth. Two days later, I'm on a flight heading to Istanbul. And I'm not gonna lie, I'm not proud of it. I got drunk as a skunk on the plane <laughs> for no reason i was like first class I, I have, there's no pressure i'm not gonna play anytime soon you know they're probably jet lag you know common sense gotta go through medical testing i'm gonna enjoy the flight so i i drank a little bit too much so i get i get there um uh, stuck in traffic for about three oh, hours going to the hospital least, yeah yeah easy uh, six hours in the hospital doing all this testing Pass all the medical testing, game the next day. Oh yeah, they get you right <laughs> zero, into it. Zero points, maybe one rebound. I don't even know I, if I felt my body in the game. <laughs> and I, I was just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, the fans have to be thinking, what do we do? Like, why did they sign this kid? Like, what is he? And then I finally got a good night's sleep and I had a really good game and a really good, one of my best seasons uh, there after that. But, you know, adjusting to, uh, I've been spit on. I've had uh, coins thrown at me. I've been called all, all kinds of crazy names. Uh, social media, you know, if you say anything, if you don't have to say anything on social media. And, uh, you know, the opposing team, especially your rivals, they will murder you. <laughs> they will. Especially in Gala, yeah. You're playing against FS or Fenerbahce, yeah. Dude, people in America have no idea what, uh, how sports are perceived overseas. That it is, it is, like, uh, it is such a true passion that they will kill you if you say or, or, or do the wrong thing. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So in, was a fun year. In, 20, in 2015, in 14-15, that was arguably, you would say, one of your best seasons. I, was, I mean, you were cooking. You had a game where I think you had uh, 10 out of 14 from three. I mean, you had a lot of games where you had 40. Uh, why did you decide to transition out and stop playing? after having such a great, on top of, you know, some would argue, you could argue maybe the top of your game, scoring-wise. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was one of my better seasons. Um, it was a draining season as well. I mean, I was playing on a lousy team. First year in the first division, this team called Eskishvir. We had, it was one of those years where we had so many imports come in and out. I was the only guy basically who started on the team and finished on the team. Everyone was there, out for themselves, trying to get the next job. Yeah, um, I can see that. And I, I basically got to the end of that season. And I was very fortunate that during my career, I invested, uh, you know, very wisely in real estate and some early tech companies and bought some shares in some companies that ended up doing really well. So I was, it's 2015. I'm looking around. I'm 32 years old. I'm like, man, do I want to, you know, I didn't have Fenerbahce and Galatasaray knocking on my door, you know, teams like that. I was going to play on another mid-level team for decent money. And I decided... You know, I remember sitting there that summer and I was like, man, let's just let's get on with the rest of my life. I was ready to get into the next realm of business. I knew that, uh, you know, my goal was always to have a very successful basketball career, but I always wanted to be much more successful for the rest of my life than I did during my basketball career. And I just felt like I had some other opportunities to learn from some really smart people. And if I didn't jump on them, that they may pass and they may not be there, you know, now if I was still playing. Right. 
So for me, it was always, um, you know, I felt like I got so much out of the game of basketball and I was so grateful and I always wanted to be a 10 year pro and I absolutely loved it. And there's times I miss it so much, but yeah. I just felt like the game had given me so much and I'd gotten so much out of the game that I was ready to move on and ready for a new challenge. And Absolutely. That was, that was, that's really what it came down to is just, I was just ready for the next challenge. Yeah, man. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's your life to live and you know, there's no blueprint for that. You can go where the tides, wherever your passion is. And, and that's what you decide to do. Of course it's difficult because you were, uh, been in that identity, that role for so long to uh, step into the unknown. But, you know, you have your family, you've had, uh, you've probably experienced almost everything there was at that point, basketball wise. That's what I asked Coach Donovan when he decided to leave, finally, finally leave Florida and go to the NBA. He said, you know, in, in college basketball, I finally realized I experienced everything that there possibly was. But, you know, trans transitioning out of playing in 2018, uh, you're, the owner, one of the owners of the New Zealand Breakers. How did we get from there to from here to there? Uh, like, was that ever on your horizon as you right after you're tired? Or how did that even get on your how did it, any of it happen? <laughs> Absolutely not. I never anticipated owning a basketball team in New Zealand. I had never been to New Zealand. But you know, I talked about some of the opportunities that I had in 2015 when I decided to retire. And one of those was uh, my one of my best friends and mentors and former agent Jason Levian at the time was um, you know he's just coming off being the managing owner of Memphis Grizzlies and I spent some time in Memphis when I was still playing with him he was the owner of DC United and Swansea City two international football oh, nice. clubs and um, you know he, I was talking to him about retiring we went and watched the U.S. Open together and he was like if you're ready to retire and you want a new challenge he's like do it come learn from me he's like I think you'll love the sports executive ownership business he's like you can he was splitting time between DC and New York he's like, you can be around as much as you want to get you involved in some special projects so I was like man what an opportunity so I decided to do it I got an inside look at what Jason did and I was like man this is very cool I love this yeah. I invested in DC United so I'm a minority owner there I invested in Swansea City um, I invested in the USL team Loudon, Loudon United uh, and I absolutely loved it. And then a uh, mutual friend of the former owners of the Breakers and myself called me and they were with the, uh, the owner, Liz Blackwell. She was in New York to do the New York Marathon and she was telling our friend, hey, you know, we've owned this team for 16 years. Um, our kids are grown up. You know, I think we're ready to move on. So he called me and he said, you should take a look at this. The league is about to blow up. They've got a connection with the NBA. Uh, Auckland is this incredible market, the only team in New Zealand. He's like, you're going to love it there. You should go check it out. So in December of 2017, I took a nine-day trip here. was blown away by the country, the people, the facilities. Um, I very quickly, by you know end of February, worked out a deal with the former owners, the Blackwells, who are the amazing people, my partners. Um, and I just kind of went for it. And that's always how I've been. You know, I felt like it was my time to go to the NBA. I took the chance and I went. Um, and I really believed in this and the business and it's been the best decision I ever made both from a personal and a family level. New Zealand is the most amazing place on earth and business wise, uh, you know, if you look at what the NBL has grown to in the two and a half right. years since I bought the team, um, there's now four American ownership groups. Most recently, Brian Colangelo bought the Hawks three time NBA okay. executive of the year. Um, yeah. You know, LaMelo Ball, RJ Hampton, these guys are coming to our league to play. Um, so I really feel like I've been a catalyst in that growth. And it's been so exciting to, you know, last year I got a chance to play against Billy Donovan uh, in NBA preseason and talk about like the thrill of a lifetime. We played three NBA preseason games. So um, it's been amazing to watch the growth, um, but that's kind of how I ended up here in a short form story. Oh man, no, that's I love that. That's a great clip for I mean for me to learn about it about the situation and for everyone else because it's like how did you know if when people hear this I'm like where what the heck is Matt Walsh doing doing now? And it's like wow, this is he's living the dream. He's got his family, he's in a COVID free area. That's that's the number one priority because uh things are going kind of crazy uh right now. But um, you know, talking about the league, um obviously um uh, I'm sure you're not tired of talking about it, but you talked about it plenty of times. I, I've seen the interviews and just the experiment with RJ Hampton, getting him there. First off, you know, how was his transition? Um, Cause you know, he's coming in as a top 10 pick projected and 
it's already a lot for a 18 year old kid to transition into college. And then it's even more for a one and done guy to transition into the NBA. And not only, you know, he's declared that he didn't want to play college, wanted to be, be a pro, uh, came over there. He's playing against grown men right away and being away from home. Thank God I saw that his family came with him. So that's obviously was, was great, was awesome. Um, but how was, how was that experience and just transitioning him and helping him, help, you know, building that vision for the league? Because I, I think it's awesome. I definitely think there should be a lot more players uh, that can make a lot more money compared to the G League and have a great life uh, living out there. Yeah, and that's what we sold him and his family on was basically, <clears throat> look, we weren't gonna, we weren't really competing with the Kansas, Kansas and Kentuckys and Dukes in the world. I told that, the, you know, I recruited the family for basically the better part of a year. And I told them, if you want to go to college, you're never going to hear me say a negative word about it. And I told them I had the best experience at University of Florida. I could never imagine doing anything else. But what I told them was, if you're going to go pro and you want to be a pro and you want to learn how to be a pro, then this is the best place in the world to do it. You know, I've been through everything you're going through. We've got a world-class coaching staff, world-class facilities, and you're going to come and live in paradise for a year. And you can just yeah. focus on being a pro. Now, that said, it's still not easy. You've got an 18-year-old right. kid moving overseas. Yes, he's got his family with him, but, um, you know, a whole new league, a whole new world. He had never played against anyone, you know, minus some international stuff, um, except high school players, you know, because he was he reclassified. So he was really supposed to be a senior last year in high school, which people wow. don't realize. So. It was a big adjustment. And in our league, there's no nights off. You know, you're playing against Bryce Cotton, Casper Ware, Jerome Randall, all guys who have sniffed the NBA, played some minutes in the NBA. Scott Machado. Jerome is a dog. Every night, every night you're playing against killer point guards. And it's the hardest position in our league because it's all imports. It's the most important position. So right. I think it was a little bit baptism by fire. It's why I'm very high on his prospects in terms of the next few years and what I think he's going to do in the NBA because I think he's far more ready than any other guy. I think what him and LaMelo did was smart. They made a bunch of money. They came down here. Um, and we're very proud to have been a, you know, one step in RJ's career development. Is there any concern um, with what the NBA is now striving to offer to these young guys that are uh, looking to do um, kind of similar? They don't want to go to college, but they're, they're, the NBA is opening the G League for this new opportunity for them to play NBA kind of ball and develop and focus on their their draft, et cetera. Is there a uh, you know, concern that that's going to affect what you in your vision in the league is going to do, is, is doing? We knew it was coming. I mean, Adam Silver the year before said something like, uh, you know, I'm jealous of what the NBL is doing because uh, if I had a son, you know, I would take a hard look at it. So when, when you get the commissioner saying that kind of stuff, you know that change is, change is coming. This year is unique, right, because – we didn't get a next star this year because it was very hard for me to tell a young man and his family, hey, come down here, given all that's happening with COVID, given we didn't know right. if there was going to be travel restrictions. So we didn't pursue one this year. There's no question that a lot of guys are going to be attracted like they have been this year, the Kaminga, Jonathan Kaminga, and some of these young guys to the, to the D League. But what we can offer, I think, is different. I think it's unique. And I think sure. just like RJ and LaMelo were unique circumstances, we will still get some guys in in terms of our league, I always feel like we'll be able to go out and get the best players. So um, while there's no – I think it's great. I think it's great what the D-League has done because if you're a young player, and I always tend to look at things through a player's perspective, you know, look at the options you have. You can go to Duke or Kentucky. You can go to the D-League and make some money. You can go overseas. There's so many different paths. And, uh, you know, every year now in the draft, you're seeing top ten guys getting drafted from overseas. So it's not like if you're coming to the NBL, you're fighting exactly. for a year. Um, you know, everyone's going to see you the same amount. We had every single team come to New Zealand last year to watch RJ Hampton play. Uh, you know, we had games where people were watching online, more than 2 million people streaming our games. Wow. So everyone, everyone's watching. Our league's a known entity now. So while the D-League is just another path, I don't think it really affects us too much. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you guys have great um, – uh, have, have had more great exposure these last two years. And – uh, you know, why? Why wouldn't even a lot, a lot of these guys that stay in the G League for a while, you know, they're stuck, they're stuck trying to get a call up, you know, trying to, and they're, they're not making much money at all. Not that, you know, you're making a bajillion dollars, but you're, you'll be doing much better off and, and you'll be getting great minutes. You'll be able to, to, to play for towards something, a great life. So once in a lifetime experience, uh, the team pays for your living expenses, et cetera, you know, 
those things. It's it's fantastic. I can't see why uh, it's not an opportunity that's not going to continue to blow up. You know, yeah. I'll never get it. These guys have played five, six years in the G League. Of course, everyone wants to get to the NBA, but there's different routes. And you know, if you look back at your career and you've spent six years making 15k uh, for the season or 20k for the season, at some point you got to think, man, did I did I do this right? Well, like you said, you get these amazing life experiences. Like I look back at all the cities I played in, the cultures I got to experience, and it's just amazing. And I think we're unique in that we have that approach, and we're so grateful for that. And I think most guys. Yeah look at it like it's a failure and I certainly did earlier in my career but by the end of my career I was just I was so Thankful. grateful that I was getting a chance to yeah play basketball and right. live around the world and have these incredible exactly. experiences the friendships you make at the end of the day it's the relationships and the experiences that at least for me that I cherish the most yeah I mean at the end of the day no one can be a better Matt Walsh than Matt Walsh and no one and only you can 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 write your story and be on your journey and your path in life and do the best you can. It, whichever route you go, no one can do it better. Same for me, same for everybody. Uh, you know, whatever you desire and to do it, to, to do in your life that you feel passionate to do and you're, you're doing it. I mean, how many of these guys are going to have an opportunity to do what you're doing right now and have your family there and continue to grow and challenge yourself, man, I'm, I'm really inspired. And I know that you got to go. I know you got another uh, business, owner thing going on here uh as the as your as the owner of the team i'm so thankful for your time matt uh it was a pleasure and honor uh grabbing you so early in the morning and getting this awesome background yeah, you gotta <laughs> soak it up i know it's getting cold around the world so everyone soak it up no patrick i enjoyed this so much we got to do it again because i feel like we just got we just started getting into it so we got to trade some right? stories again and um you know what when you're when you've got through all the other good guests and you need somebody in the emergency one, call me again <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll hop on with you. Definitely, man. Well, it was, it was a pleasure. Um, we'll chat. I'll, I'll shoot you a message soon. Um, anyways, everyone, thank you for joining. This was the episode with Matt Walsh on the Young and the Rowdies, Gator Nation, and everyone around. Stay rowdy.